You may all be seated. Uh, we, we need to stop for a moment before we get into a message today, and we need to recognize and thank some people. Uh, if you are a man or a woman who served in the armed forces of our great United States of America, would you please stand so we can thank you? You got to stand first. Come on. There we go. And wait, hold on, hang on, keep standing, people. I know this is killing you. I know how this works. We live in a country that has taken so much for granted what we have because of you folks. And so we are here to worship God, but honor you. And so thank you. Thank you for your service. <clears throat> Every year I say I'm not going to get choked up, and you people always do that. Thank you for what you have done with a portion of your life to serve this country and to give us the freedoms that we so often take for granted. Paul is writing to the church in Galatia. We're going to go into Galatians 6. It's the uh, wind down of this letter of his. Uh, he's, he's coming to a close. It's the last time he's going to talk to these people. Uh, the words are pretty important, and there's a couple of phrases that just kind of jump out because they almost don't seem like they fit in, but they're every bit as much relevant to us today as they were 2,000 years ago when they were written. With that, let's start with prayer. God, thank you for the men and the women who just stood. God, thank you for the humility that they have, the humble hearts of service, something that all of us could learn from. God, it's never easy to get that group to stand up, even though we want to recognize and thank and honor them. And God, we do. We want to honor them and we want to worship you. And uh, we're grateful for those men and women who have given time out of their lives to serve this country so that we can worship you freely, so that we can uh, experience all of the things that we get to enjoy in this country that many people around the world don't get to. God, as we uh, turn to the end of Galatians now, Paul is writing to this church full of people who he just cares so deeply for. Uh, you, can just, you can hear the love and the compassion in the words that he writes. And so help us to understand not just what Paul is saying to them, but what you are saying to us. God, open our ears and our hearts and our minds that we would be willing and open and ready to receive whatever you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Galatians 6. Paul grew up under the weight of the religious legalism of the Jewish church. When Paul met Jesus, everything about his life was transformed and changed. He literally became a new creation in a moment's time. And this letter is so strong in wanting people to understand the freedom that we have in Jesus, not the weight and the obligation of trying to keep the law that he grew up under. And so we hear in the words just his passion and his compassion, his love for people, and I hope that we can hear it as we dive into it today. I hope that we can hear it the way that he wrote it and the way that he meant it. Some of the things about the world 2,000 years ago are completely different than our world today. Some of them haven't changed one bit. So if you've got your Bibles, Galatians 6, we're going to back up to the very close of chapter 5. These letters were written in one uh, long letter form. They weren't broken down into chapters and verses the way that we have them in the Bible. It was just a personal letter to the church. And where the last chapter ended and the new one picks up is here. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. 
Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Paul isn't scolding them. He's imploring them to understand what he's saying, to hear his heart. And the same thing is true for us. Chapter 6, verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. He grew up under the religious oppression of having to keep the law. And you would think Paul would be really hard on sin because you've transgressed God, you've gone against his will, you've done what you shouldn't do. But Paul's words are so compassionate. And in our church today, I think we would do well to hear them and understand what he's saying. If another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, what that means is godly, humble. Those of you who are spiritual, those of you who are gentle, those of you who are loving, should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. So often today when someone steps out of line, whether it's a sin or whether they just do something somebody doesn't like, there's always seems to be somebody who jumps in and wants to tell them where they went wrong and what they've got to do to make it right. But that's not consistent with the Bible and that's not consistent with what Paul's saying. Should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Why gently and humbly? Because Paul wants people to be in relationship with each other And Paul wants people to be in relationship with Jesus. And so often what happens is the church is the place that that we're told we don't fit in or that we've done something that's too wrong or what you've done can't be forgiven. And so there's a lot of, we're going to talk about this more in a bit, but there's a lot of people who say they've been hurt by the church. I got news for you. The church is a building. It didn't hurt you. The people in the church may have hurt you. And if we would only listen to Paul's words if we're going to gently and humbly help that person into the right path, he says, then be careful. Don't fall into the same sin yourself. Watch out that you don't get caught up in the very same thing that they did. Paul is all about restoration and relationship. Paul is all about people having a living and growing personal relationship with Jesus, but people in the church having a healthy relationship with each other share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. And if someone steps out of God's will for their life, if someone sins, you gently and lovingly, humbly try to help them back onto the right path. You don't tell them what they have to do to make it right. That's God's part of the equation, not ours. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. Listen to this and tell me how well this will go over today because Paul is these guys' pastor. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. How many people think that they're, they're past sin, that, that they follow the law so well that their job now is to point out all the sins of others? And he says, if you think that's you, you're not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Comparison, someone told me after last service, service, comparison is the death of joy. 
When you compare yourself to someone else, you're not trying to be the best version of you that God created you to be. You're trying to be them. You're trying to be better than them. When you compare yourself to someone, you're going to do one of two things. Either you're going to say, I am way better than they are. Or you're going to say, wow, I'm just kind of worthless. I'm not him or I'm not her, so what's the point? God didn't call you and create you to compare yourself to anybody else. If we're going to compare ourselves to anyone, it's to the standard and the life that was set for us by Jesus. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. You know, just pay attention to your own work and you'll get the satisfaction of a job well done. You won't need to compare yourself to anyone else for we're each responsible for our own conduct. Today, where did you go? Today we'd say, watch your own bobber, right? There it is. Watch your own bobber. Stay in your lane. Make sure your own closet's clean. Paul's saying, don't worry about what everybody else is doing. We're each responsible for our own behavior. Do you know how often we get ourselves more concerned with the behaviors and the problems and the faults and the flaws of other people than we do about our own? Paul says, don't do that. If he was writing today, he'd say, watch your own barber. Then he just throws this in. It's a paragraph all on its own because Paul's their pastor. He says, those who are, taught the word, uh, who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. This is important because starting next week, we're going to look at Paul's letter to, uh, second letter to Timothy. He wrote two letters to the young Timothy who was called to be a pastor. And Timothy was kind of concerned that he was too young. He was afraid that people who were older weren't going to respect him. And the Christian church was just growing. So there was a lot of things that that nobody really understood. And Paul's letters are trying to help us understand how to put the life and teachings of Jesus into practice. So when he's talking about this uh, provide for their teachers, sharing all the good things with them, he's actually getting ready and for us to understand what he's talking about with Timothy. And so it's a theme as Paul is talking not just to churches he was pastor of, but to churches that he was helping to raise up other pastors. He says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You know what you can? You can try. You can try to mock the justice of God. You can try to say, God, you're not even fair. That person deserves so much worse than what they got. But see, we can't mock the justice of God because we all get more mercy than what we deserve. We get more mercy than what we're entitled to. Paul says, don't mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Boy, there's a good one. You'll reap what you sow. You'll get what you give. What you put out into the world will come back to you. We forget about that as Christians. We forget about the fact that things that we say and the people and the way that we talk about them and the things that we do will come back to us because that begins to set who we are in the eyes of the world. If you love other people, even when they don't deserve it, you will find yourself being loved in the most surprising and wonderful ways. If you set yourself up willing to serve other people, even when it's not convenient, you will find people are there at the ready to serve you when you need them. If you're generous in your giving, it will come back to you. God will be generous and people will be generous. But then there's a flip side of it as well. If you've got a group of friends and you like to gossip, maybe you like to talk about church people. Maybe you like to talk about other churches. Guess what? When you leave that group of friends, they talk about you. If you gossip, people are going to gossip about you. If you are a person who sows division... If you try to divide people 
or churches or institutions or teachers from students or whatever it is, if you're a divider person, you will find yourself divided and alone. If you are selfish, you'll find that you are never content. You never have enough. You always want for more. If you're filled with gratitude, if you have a heart of thankfulness, you'll find out that you are content in all things, no matter what the situation or what the circumstance, no matter how much you have. Paul says you always harvest what you plant. You can't expect to receive something that you don't intentionally put out into the world yourself. If you plant soybeans, you can't expect to harvest corn. If you plant gossip, you can't expect to receive generosity. And Paul's trying to help them understand that, that it's really that simple. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. What ends up happening when we live on our own for ourselves all the time? We end up living a life of emptiness. And Paul says the only thing that you're going to harvest is decay and death. There will be no good fruit from that life. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting everlasting life from the Spirit. The way that you live, what you do, the condition of your heart, and the state of your thoughts are between you and God. You know as well as I do that you can tell somebody something, you can pretend to be something, but God knows who we really are. What we really are and what we really end up with is something that's between us and God. And when we live to please the Spirit, we'll harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So Paul is wanting to be encouraging. He says, let's not get tired of what's doing good. If you have tried to be helpful to people who aren't kind or who the world says don't deserve it, it can be exhausting. Because they never say thank you and they just expect more. If you are out there trying to be positive to someone who's negative, it can be exhausting. If you're out there trying to share the good news of Jesus with people and they don't want to hear it, they don't want to believe, they're making fun of you and saying all kinds of stuff about you, it can be tiring. And he says, but don't be tired of doing what is good. Because at just the right time, we will reap a harvest, again that word, of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those who are in the family of faith. I get the chance to be with our young people on Wednesday night. And I made the statement that becoming a Christian is about the easiest thing in the world. It's a free gift that we accept. We say, Jesus, I believe in you. I recognize that you're a sinner. I accept your free gift of salvation. Becoming a Christian is the easiest thing in the world. Living as a Christian is one of the hardest things in the world. And the way in is real easy. The way of the life is real difficult, in part because it's hard for us to to be a disciple of Jesus, to live the way God has called us to live, but it's also hard in a world that doesn't respect and value that. So he says, therefore, whenever you have the opportunity, we have opportunity all the time, We should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. What is our excuse for not helping? What is our excuse for ignoring or gossiping? We have none. We have no excuse, and God will settle that account with us. You know, if you're somebody who has been hurt by the church, maybe you took a break, you spent some time away, you're you're dipping your toe back in, trying to see if you want to give God another chance, but you realize you've got to give the church another chance, and that means give the people in the church another chance. It wasn't the church that hurt you, and it wasn't the God that hurt you. It was somebody in a church, wasn't it? 
It was something that somebody said or something that they did or something that you shared that they went out and told everybody else about somehow or another. It's always people who end up transgressing those lines with us, isn't it? And Paul is saying, you know what, whenever you've got the opportunity to do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith, our closest friends, the people who we trust the most, most should be a part of our family of faith. And yet after 25 years in ministry, without exception, the people who have been hurt the worst have been hurt by people who they shared faith with. Because they expected that they knew better than to hurt them the way that they did. If that's your story, I'm sorry. Give God another chance because God is not the one that wants to hurt you. God is the one who sent Jesus to save you. It's people living out their own stuff that end up hurting us. Then it gets to the last part of this letter. In verse 11, Paul says, Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Paul has been beaten Paul has been, had, had rocks, been stoned, had rocks thrown at him. He's been left for dead. He's been uh, put in prison. He's been chained to prison floors on the inside. He survived an earthquake. I mean, this guy has had a tough life. I can't imagine what Paul's hands look like at this point. I, I saw a cast of Martin Luther's hands one time, and his writing hand was just gnarled for all of the thousands and thousands and thousands of words that man wrote. But Paul wants to make sure they understand that he cares so much about these people. Someone else isn't writing this letter to them. This is his heart and his hand as he writes these closing words. This is the last thing that they're going to hear from him. It's not going to get to go back and see him again. This is it. This is the last thing that Paul is going to say specifically to these people. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised, we talked last week, that is the That is the phrase that helps us understand. Those that are trying to force you to fulfill the law, to keep the law, want to look good to others. What's interesting about that is if you've been hurt by someone that told you you weren't a good enough Christian, you weren't spiritual enough, you didn't know the Bible well enough, or you weren't at a place where you could be doing that, I've heard all of those things about myself. You know, that's not God talking, right? That's somebody who's far more concerned about appearances than they are about what's in your heart. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Those who are trying to force you to keep the law want to look good to other people because what they can do is say, look what I did to this person who was so lost. They were so messed up. They were such a sinner. And then I showed up and I straightened them out. You maybe have been plagued by one of those people in your life. Since they don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. Preaching the gospel truth offends people. Sharing Jesus offends some people. Telling some people why you have your hope and faith in Jesus makes some people mad. And what ends up happening is they get offended and they persecute. They say things about you directly or indirectly. And sometimes those people who are so convinced that the only thing that they're here on earth to do is to force you to keep the law, they just want to avoid actually sharing Jesus. Even those who advocate circumcision, who advocate keeping the law so that they uh, don't keep the whole law themselves. Those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. We have a tendency to keep the parts of the law that we can keep, and we highlight that, and then we point our fingers at people who break the law that we can point it out. 
They only want you to keep the law or be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. That is the self-righteous spirit of religion. That's not people who really want to help us. That's people who want to put feathers in their own hat. As for me, Paul says, now he's making this turn. As for me, may I never. He does not say that I don't. What he's saying is this is my intention. This is my desire. May I never boast about anything but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you've ever been proud or if you've ever bragged or you've ever been accused of being arrogant, was it because you talked so much about Jesus? It's not usually what happens. Paul is saying, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is he going to talk about boldly? He's going to talk about what Jesus did for us, not himself. And Paul's got quite a story. Because of that cross, because of Jesus, my interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. What Paul said is, I I just don't care about all that stuff anymore. This is coming from a guy who was raised not just to know the law, but to enforce the law, to keep the law. And Paul's saying, that's not what matters. I died when I met Jesus. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. It doesn't matter whether we keep the law or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. What matters is Jesus matters. Jesus is what's essential. Go back to a phrase he said a a couple of paragraphs ago. You and I, we're not that important. We're important only as far as it goes to be good representatives of what it is to be a Christian and to share the good news of Jesus. Jesus is what is important. What counts is whether we've been transformed into a new creation. That's a tough one in the American church today. I think Paul would have a hard time with us, a lot of us anyway. You might believe in Jesus. You might call yourself a Christian. You might know your Bible. You might go to Bible studies. You might do all kinds of stuff. But the other things that Paul's talking about, if you're going to be honest, you like that stuff too. You like the things that Paul tells us we shouldn't do and shouldn't be about. And in America, we're taught so often that it's more important what it looks like than who we are. Not substance, but appearance. And Paul is talking about substance here. The idea of following the law and and doing everything on the outside that says you're a good Christian, but never having been transformed by a personal relationship with Jesus. Not having any idea what it means to be a new creation. Our heads agree, but our hearts have never been changed. We've maybe figured out how not to do or not to show the the parts of our old life, but you know, we really don't have a new life. And you're maybe sitting there right now going, that might be me. That might describe me. I believe in Jesus. I call myself a Christian, but I don't know that I've been changed. Paul had this moment on the road to Damascus where he was struck blind and everything in his life changed. The old Paul died in that moment. And because of that transformation, in Jesus, because his encounter with Jesus, he became a new creation. And that's the guy that we read about in the New Testament. Is that true of you? Is there a time you can say, this is my old life, this is how I met Jesus, and now this is who I am because of him? Because that's the transformed new creation you. That's what Paul is writing for, that we could do that. Not to be more religious, but to be all of what God created us to be. And he goes on and he says, May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. What's the new principle? To love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. To love your neighbors as yourself. 
If we do that, nothing else matters. If we realize that Jesus is what matters, Jesus is most essential. All the other stuff we want, that we aspire to, all the things and all the people that we might compare ourselves to, none of that matters anymore. Jesus is what matters. But is Jesus your barometer? Is Jesus your goal? Is living like Jesus the thing that you set out to do every day? Because if it's not, you're missing the very best parts of a relationship with him. He goes on in verse 17, he says, From now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things, for I bear on my own body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. He says, I don't care about any of that other stuff anymore. I just care about Jesus. And the scars that I have on my body, they show that I belong to him. As a Christian in America, you probably don't have scars on your body because of your faith. You might, and that'd be an interesting story. More often than not, in the American church, we've got scars on our memory. We've got scars on our heart and scars on our emotions. We've got scars on the time that we have spent with other Christians that have hurt us and damaged us and wounded us, and we're not quite sure what to do with them because they don't line up with what the Bible says a Christian's supposed to be. You have those scars? I do. Do you have scars from what people have said about you? Do you have scars from people who mocked and made fun of you because you stood for Jesus or stood for someone else? Do you have scars because people know that you believe and belong to Jesus and they've made fun of you for it? They've mocked you or they've persecuted or given you a hard time for it? If you don't, Maybe you might want to think about pushing your faith out a little bit more in front. Because there's a whole lot of the world that doesn't want to be convicted. They don't want to be challenged by Jesus. And when they get challenged, more often than not, they strike back and they leave scars. And if you have scars because of your faith, you're in good company because you're right there with Paul. Dear brothers and sisters, and this is his closing line. Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. What a beautiful close. He's got us thinking about how we've been hurt, how we've been wounded, how people have have damaged us because of our faith in Jesus, trying to live as a Christian. And his closing thought, dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. May the spirit of Jesus fill you so fully that none of the rest of that stuff matters anymore. The hurtful words don't matter. Jesus matters. The people who mock you and make fun of you don't matter. Jesus matters. All of the things that they might say or might do or anything else to you or against you or about you doesn't matter. Jesus is what matters. See, for too many people in America, we grew up in the church and we've always known who Jesus was. We've accepted this name Christian, Christ follower. We say, yep, I believe in Jesus, and I would, I would say that I'm going to go to heaven absolutely. I've accepted uh, the, his forgiveness of sins for sure. And it's all up here. Paul is talking about what happens when Jesus moves from here to here. What happens when Jesus rules your heart and your mind? Maybe you're one of those folks that grew up in the church and you never had that moment. And you think, I don't know that I'm really, I think he's talking about me right now. I don't know that I ever had that moment. I I mean, I know when I met Jesus or when my faith became real, but I don't know that I've been transformed. I don't know that I'm all that much different. I don't know that I'm a new creation. 
God sent Jesus that you could be a new creation in him, not because you decided to do something different or to improve on your life, but that you could be completely transformed by the death and the resurrection of Jesus, new life in him, and you become a new creation. If you want to know what I'm talking about, if you want to know transformation and new creation, talk to someone who knows by their own story, which has become their testimony, that they were far from God, that everything about their life was not what God wanted for them. Everything about their life was selfish and only, only sought to please them and bring them happiness and joy. And when those folks tell you about when Jesus became real, they'll talk to you about transformation, how old wants and desires die and, and just they overcome them because of Jesus. They become this new creation. They were far from Christ and now they are right there with Jesus living in their hearts. And if that doesn't describe you, I pray the Holy Spirit presses in so hard on you that you say, God, I want that. I want that transformation. I want to live as a new creation. I want to put the same life I've been living forever thinking it was what you wanted. I want to put that behind me and I want to live in whatever the future is that you created me for because God created you for a future with him. See, the gospel, knowing about Jesus should move us should move us to action. Cindy said something a while ago, and it stuck with me. She was talking about whether we choose Jesus or whether we choose the world. Choose Jesus or the devil. And she said it so well, and I don't remember that. But what I do remember is how many of us sit on the fence saying, I'll make a decision later. I'm going to live with my foot in both worlds a little while longer. And she said, here's the deal. If you're riding the fence thinking you're living for Jesus, you've got to understand that the fence belongs to the devil. To hear about Jesus and to not do anything, to not be transformed, to not accept that free gift of salvation, and to not become a new creation is to choose something other than Jesus. And Paul is writing these letters to this church, and they are struggling because they're being told, there's all these things you have to do to make God happy. And Paul says, no. All that you need to do is accept that free gift of salvation in Jesus. And then just begin to live for him. So my prayer would be that the Holy Spirit would be so full in you, would would be so big and so loud and so pressing that if you haven't been transformed by a relationship with Jesus, if you haven't become the new creation the Bible talks about, that you just can't do anything else until you take care of that business with God. We'll have people after the service in the prayer corners, they will pray you through that. Maybe you've lived your life believing that you're a good person, showing up in church, calling yourself a Christian, but you know, in the truth of your heart, you know you haven't given your life to him. I believe in you, Jesus, because I don't have a good reason not to, but I'm not living for you. Paul is writing to this church in Galatia, realizing the pressure that's on them. And all he wants them to do is to understand how beautiful it is to live with the Holy Spirit in your heart and to live for Jesus. Why do we exist as a church so that you can know that? so that you can understand that and so you can live that way. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, demands action. What has it caused you to do? Let's pray. God, thank you for Paul. Thank you for his heart, his incredible heart, for his passion, for the way that you changed him. God, we can look at that and, and we just can so much want to be like that. We can want to say, there was this moment, God, this moment that I knew everything changed. The transformation happened in an instant and and we know that we're a new creation. 
And some of us understand what that means. Some of us have been through that. Our testimony contains that passage. But then, God, there's also an awful lot of us that just kind of dance around the edges. We go to church because it's the right thing to do. We do our very best to be good people. We do what we can to please you more than we anger you. And God, we're completely missing the boat. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just press into our hearts. God, that your Holy Spirit would become so real to us that you would make it clear where we really stand, what we really believe and what really matters to us. And if it isn't Jesus, if Jesus isn't most important, if Jesus isn't the most essential, God, I pray your Holy Spirit would go to work on us that he would transform our thinking and our hearts, which transforms our lives and turns us into the new creation that Jesus died and rose again that we might become. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Christmas planners are available. They're out here in the trailers. As soon as we're done, if you order one of those, pick them up. Uh, prayer. We got prayer corners are open. If you have got business that you want to take care of with God, if you say, you know what? I'm one of those people that have been around the church a whole long time, but I'm not sure that I'm a transformed believer. I don't know that I'm a new creation. They can walk you through that and pray with you. Next week, we're going to start 2 Timothy. Uh, we're going to take a look at that for a few weeks before, Chris, uh, before Christmas. You know, we got two options when we hear Paul talk, and every time, we, every time we read the Bible, we got two options. One of them is we can be offended and say we're doing just fine. I don't want to hear about it. Leave me alone. The second is to say, you know what? We've got the opportunity and the privilege to be the new creation transformed by Jesus' pay-it-forward church that Paul is talking about. And we're the ones that get to choose. And it starts with you. What are you going to choose? Thanks for coming, folks. Have a great week. One more song before you go.